There's no combination of words I could put on the back of a postcard. No song that I could sing, but I can try for your heart. Our dreams, and they are made out of real things. Like a shoebox of photographs with sepia tone loving. Love is the answer, at least for most of the questions of my heart. Like why we're here and where do we go, and how come it's so hard. Not always easy, and sometimes life can be deceiving. I'll tell you one thing: it's always better when we're together.、Mm, it's always better when we're together. Yeah, we'll look at them stars when we're together. Well, it's always better when we're together. Yeah, it's always better when we're together. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to、uh, North Terrace today in 2016. It's so good to see that you've chosen to be here to kick off your year right in、uh, serving God and just listening to hear a word from Him today. And、uh, I want to—if you notice me a little bit limping today, there's a reason why. I—I、uh, I, I will be having a seat later on. I was.、Uh, Thursday, I did a nice run. I like to run. I, I, five miles, got five miles in. Felt really good, and was healthy and everything good. And so I didn't get hurt that way. It was playing Legos with my sons is where the danger came in. And so、uh, I don't know what happened. You put a warning label on the Lego boxes or something,、uh, or maybe it's God saying, "Matt, you're almost forty."、Uh, maybe that's what he's doing as well. But、uh, I will be sitting down a little bit,、uh, and it's. Feeling a little better. I'm going to see Mr. Dr. Allen here probably Wednesday and see if there's anything else going on. But today we are starting a brand new series called With, and I'm really excited about this because listen, as a as a minister, as a pastor, that I, one of the things I hear most from people who are walking in in this community with us in this church, the thing I hear most is relational problems, things in their marriage. Relationships with parents and kids, relationships with people in the church, people outside the church—just that relationships are not all that God intended them to be, and that hurts. It hurts, doesn't it? Relationships really、uh, can all, some of our best moments in our life can be in our relationships, and some of the worst parts in our life can be because of relationships. Because we're all messy. None of us are perfect. And when you put two imperfect people together in a relationship, imperfect things happen. But the good news is we serve a perfect God who can do great things through messy situations. So we're going to talk about that in our series called "With," and we're going to start this off today and talk about the need and the power of "With." Because did you realize that in 2016 we are more connected than we've ever been? Think about it. Take take the smartphone for example. You know, sixty four percent of adults in America own a smartphone, and when, when polled, forty six percent of people who own a smartphone said that they cannot live without it. Right. Think about how how this has revolutionized revolutionized our life. Think back to the days when the the long distance 
phone calls. Remember how big of a deal it was to, to, to make a, a long-distance call and how expensive it was? And if you saw a, a, a long-distance call on your bill and you didn't know who it was, you were going after, who was it, my daughter? Was it, who, who made that call? And that cost a lot of money. Today, because of our smartphone on a Wi-Fi signal, you can hop on a FaceTime or a Skype, and you can have face-to-face conversations with people all around the world for free. And did you know, this is, I think this is ironic, that on your smartphone, now placing a call or taking a call isn't even in the top five of most common features that we do on a smartphone. Now it's texting, emails, surfing the internet, using the clock, using the alarm clock. The, the, making a phone call isn't even the top five top purposes. So we are more connected than ever before. Take something like Facebook. Facebook came into our life in 2004, barely even a decade. And yet today, there are over 1 billion active users on Facebook. I'm not talking about people who went on to Facebook and set a profile up and left it alone, never did anything with it. I'm talking about people actively engaging on Facebook, over 1 billion people. There's 7 billion people in our world, and over a billion of them are on Facebook. It's why recently Facebook was valued at $245 billion. Not bad for something that was started by a college kid in his spare time. Think about how Facebook has changed our life. I remember back when I was in middle school, and I had a pen pal who was in Indianapolis, Indiana, an hour away from where I lived. And when I would get a letter from them, I would get all excited, like, wow, someone sent me a letter from Indianapolis. That's an hour away. Or I'd get a letter from a, a friend of mine from church camp who I met, and they lived in this other state called Ohio. And I've never, you know, it's 20 minutes away from where I live, but for some reason, there was, it seems so far, and I get a letter from them. But today, this week alone on Facebook, I have heard from friends of mine from all over the United States and have received messages from friends from Iraq and Taiwan and Scotland and New Zealand. It has changed everything. We are more connected in 2016 than we have ever, ever been. And I think it's because of the success of things like iPhones and Facebook and Twitter that we see there's something deep within us, this profound need to be with others. That there's something powerful about with that who we're with, who we're friends with, who we're in relationship with, that there's something so powerful and meaningful behind that. It's why when we were talking about, you know, what series we're going to talk about in 2016, you know, this is something we felt like we really needed to talk about because of all the relational struggles that are going on. We see it all the time. And right now, you may be going, I know exactly what, He's talking about because right now my relationships are not what they were meant to be. And I want to assure you that God can do amazing things more than you can ask or imagine in your relationships as well with him and with others. Right now, I know there's some pain in this room. That there's some broken relationships, some peace that needs to be made. There's just some, for whatever reason... 
And I want to ask that God will do something powerful through this series as we dig in together into his word and why he created us the way he did so that our relationships can be all that they were supposed to be. So would you, would you pray with me? Would you join me in prayer as we get ready to kick off this series today? God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the people who are here who just want to hear from you. And I know when, when relationships are messy, when they're not all that they could be, that we are searching for answers. And sometimes the answer is that we just need to hear from you. And that we need to take a next step today, God, to, in, in our relationship with you and our relationship with others to mend those relationships. God, I pray that our friendships, our, our families, that because of what you do this series, even today, that others will see the way that you are working in our lives and will come to know you because of the great God that you are and that you will get the glory for it. Not for our own benefit, but for yours and yours alone. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's talk a little bit more about this power of with. There's been some modern uh, research done about the power of with. For instance, in Almeida County, California, they took 7,000 people that they observed for a nine-year period of time. And here's what they found. They found that the people who had weak relational connections actually were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. That's the power of with. They also found that people who had bad health habits, people who smoked, people who didn't exercise, people who ate the wrong kinds of food, but they had strong relationships, actually lived longer, significantly longer, than people who had great health habits, but who lived more isolated lives. That tells you about the power of with. That tells you that it's better to eat Twinkies with good friends than to eat broccoli all alone. And that is why you came to church today right there. Woo! Absolutely. Say no to Brussels sprouts. And here's another research. This this actually came from the Journal of the American uh, Medical Association that 276 people actually volunteered to be exposed to the the common cold virus. First of all, who does that? Who who says, yes, I would like to be selected for this? And, And they were exposed to the common cold virus. Here's what they found out in this research. They found out that people who had strong relational connections were four times better at fighting off the common cold virus. They found that people with strong relational connections were significantly less susceptible to the cold. They had fewer viruses in their system and their bodies actually produced less mucus. That's gross. I know. But now we have research that, con- that, that, that is conclusive that unfriendly people are snottier <laughs> than friendly people. So there you go. So this is modern day research. But you know what? The Bible has been talking about the power of with for, well, since the beginning. Because if you go back to the book of Genesis, and you... Read the creation account of how God created this world and how he created everything in it. 
it's written like this ancient Hebrew poem. It's like this song. And there's a rhythm to it. Where day one, God says, let there be light, and there is light. And he looks at all that he's made, and he says, it's good. Come around to day three, he says, Let's, uh, he, he, he says let there be land and sea, and there was land and sea. And he steps back and looks at all that he's made, and he says, it's good. Day four, God says, let there be sun, moon, and stars. And there was sun, moon, and stars. He looks at all that he made, and he said, it is good. And each time that God spoke something to in existence, he declares it to be good. But after day five and day six, after he speaks the, the living things of the sea and the birds of the air and the, and the animals who walked on land and says they are good, there's like this halt. There's this interruption in the poem, this interruption in the song. The rhythm stops as he, as he creates man in his own image. And he's good, but when he looks at this man, there's something for the first time in creation that God sees that is not good. And what you can see there in your notes and what you can see there in Scripture is that this is the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. What God saw that was not good was that this man was not with someone. And I've, and I've heard people say before that, that there is a God-shaped hole, a God-shaped void that we all have in us that we can try to fill it up with all these other things, but it will never, never satisfy, never never be filled by anything else other than God. And I, and I believe that to be true because I have sensed that void in my life. And now I live as a testament of the, that God has consumed that empty space and what God is, is, is does in my life. I'm not perfect, but God has, has, has satisfied that part in me. But I also believe this, that there is a human-shaped hole or void in every single one of us that we can try to fill with money or significance or success or anything else, but it will not be filled by, any, by anything but our relationships with others as well. Even God himself refuses to fill that human-shaped void, that need that we have for others, that God created us to need him, yes, but God created us to need each other as well. I mean, if you ever want to do a great study of Scripture, go through all the times that it mentions the words one another in the Bible, how we are to love one another, how we are to live with one another and to be kind to one another, all the different ways that we are supposed to live with one another. How many of you have ever had a friend who's disappointed you before? Did you just go forget that. I'm done with friendship I'm, and I'm out. No, because there's something inside of us that craves that. And how many of you ever had your heart broken? You've ever been dumped or had a relationship that was broken or a loved one lost, but did you say, you know, well, I'm done with love? No, because we were created in the image of God and God is love and we need that love. And so we search for it. We long for it. In, our, in spite of our best efforts, though, and to never give up and being with others, there's something that I do and that you do and that we all do 
that just messes things up, that sets these barriers up in our relationships, that set this bitterness or brokenness in our relationships. There's a famous religious philosopher who lived 100 years ago who wrote a milestone book. His name was Martin Buber. He's not related to Justin Bieber. Uh, It's Martin Buber. Uh, And he wrote a book called I and Thou. And in it, he basically says that that all of our relationships fall into two categories. One is an I-it relationship, and the other is an I-thou relationship. It makes makes perfect sense, doesn't it? All your relational problems are solved right there. You may go home. What he says actually is that here's what an I-it relationship looks like. I found this blog from a 25-year-old woman. And she writes a blog post called, He Used Me. And I think this is a great example of an I-it relationship. Listen, listen to this. She writes this. She says, I met a guy a couple weeks ago. He was the first person that I ever slept with. The other night when he had said something about coming over, I said I wasn't sure what I was doing. He said, oh, okay, I just assumed that you were free. I said nothing. He said, oh, I get it. You must be looking for a new guy, huh? Joking, I said, yeah, well, maybe. He then said, well, that's okay. This is just a casual thing between us, isn't it? I got real quiet, and he left not long after that. And I haven't heard from him since. I feel used and worthless and stupid for letting it happen. I gave so much to him. Things that I should have saved for someone who actually loved me. Why do guys do this? I'm an idiot. I want to disappear forever. I just wanted to be happy. And now I feel worse than ever. That's an example of an I-it relationship. And in an I-it relationship, the one person relates to the other as an object, as a, as, as a, a means to an end, a, a means to getting something or wanting something or needing something for them in the relationship. It's all about my needs, my wants, my way. And you know, that's an extreme example, but all of us have places in our relationships where that I, it kind of kind of peeks its head. For example, in my own life, you know, my wife is amazing in that she takes care of two very busy boys. She, she works 20 to 25 hours a week for a global church planning organization that helps people know Jesus all over the, all over the world. She cleans our house. Our house is immaculate and our, and our, she's a great cook. I don't know how she gets everything she does that she does, but listen, Sometimes I'll come downstairs and there'll be a note on the, the, the island in our kitchen that's a honeydew list for me, right? Guys, you know what I'm talking about or whatever. And, and you see those, the honeydew list. And, or I might get a text while I'm at the office saying, hey, would you, would you come home? Would you make sure that you do this while uh, you're on your way? It'd help me out a great deal. And I see the note and I see the text, but for whatever reason, As soon as I walk away, my mind goes to all the things that I have to do that day, all the different things that are going on in my life, and I just forget about it sometimes. And so I come home, and the dishes were never done. 
the bed was never made. And the thing that I was supposed to bring home is still at the store because I never went. And she's looking at me and going, hey, did, you, did you go to the store? Uh, I didn't. I mean, I just totally blanked. And that's what it, an I-it relationship can sometimes look like in my life because I'll, it may come to a surprise to you is that sometimes I can be selfish. Sometimes I can be self-centered. Sometimes it can be all about me because, you know, just because I get the title of lead minister doesn't mean that I've got my life all together. Not at all. It just means that God is working on me, doing something in my life, and he's growing in me, and, 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 I, and I get to share what God's doing through, through us. And, and, and listen, we all have that I relationship that peaks into our relationships. And it doesn't just happen in our marriage relationships. It happens in our work relationships. It happens in our school relationships. It happens in our dating relationships. And sometimes you find yourself as the I, and sometimes you find yourself as the it. But if you're in an I at relationship, it never allows your relationship to be all that it can be or all that God wants it to be. The other type of relationship that Martin Buber talks about is the I-thou. And it, this is about the other person is not an object, it's not an it, but the other person that you relate to in that relationship is, is a real person that God made in his image, a child of God whose needs are just as important as your own. It's why Jesus talks about when he says that we are to love our neighbor as who? As ourselves. It's why Jesus says, as you wish that others would do to you, you do to them. And we all know I-thou relationships when we see them, don't we? It's that friend of yours in college who when your girlfriend or boyfriend dumped you, they, they, they took off a night of work so they could hang out with you and just be with you. It's that friend, when finances were tight, kept inviting you to lunch and would keep picking up the tab as creative ways to take, help you out during a tough time. It's a mom who gives up months and months of sleep when they bring a newborn baby home. It's the dad or the mom who creatively work out their work schedule so they can be sure that they make their kids ball games, concerts, or even help coach the team or the dance troupe or whatever. It's the person you call in the middle of the night when there's an emergency that rises and you know that they're going to answer that phone and, tell, and, and be there in a heartbeat to take care of you and help out. It's about, not about my wants, my needs, my way. It's about how can I help? It's how can I serve? How can I help take care of you? And that's, and I have a relationship. And isn't that, when you hear that, you crave that. You want that kind of relationship for you. But isn't that also what we should be in our relationships with, our other, with other people? That's what God wants us to be. When we have those kind of relationships, that's what really fills that void, that human-shaped void that, that God created us, in, in us. Because here's the big idea, really, is that often people are in relationships for what they can get. I'm not telling you anything I don't, you don't already know. But real love is about what we can give. It's about what we can give. 
And the Bible even does a great job at, at clearly communicating what an I-thou relationship looks like in 1 Corinthians 13. And you've heard this before at weddings. You've read this on your own. You've heard this before. It says this, that love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not, it is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And love never fails. You know, in the Greek language, there's actually four different words for the word of love. We have one. And I think the Greeks got something right here because our word love kind of has lost its punch. Because in the same breath, when we talk about our love for God, we can say we love tacos. <laughs> I mean, that, But the Greeks, they have a word for love that describes their love for their friends. They have a word that describes their love for, for things like a sports team or for food. They have a word that describes their love it's a romantic kind of love. And a word that they just used in 1 Corinthians 13 and many other places in the Bible is the word that's used here, the word agape. And agape is a type of love that is solely focused on the other person where you put their needs before your own. And isn't that the kind of love that we all really need? Isn't that the kind of love that we long for a 1 Corinthians 13 type of person who always gives, who always has a word of hope, who's always kind, who isn't chalking up all the times that we've messed up and keeping score. And even they, when they say they forgive, they come back and say, oh, I remember, remember what you did that one time? And you're like, I can never win. And isn't that, isn't that also at the same time what we need to be for others? But in spite of our wanting to be with others so badly to fill that desire in us, there's something that I do, that you do, we all do, that keeps getting in the way, that keeps setting up barriers in our relationships. And it's, it's a sin problem. You see, in the back of, in Genesis... When God created this world and he said everything was good and he, he looked at man though and said there's something not good, he then created a, another person. And then he takes a step back and looks at all that he has made and doesn't declare it good, he declares it, do you remember? Very good. Only when there are two people and one God living in community in a perfect environment, does God say, now it's right. Now it's very good. But the next chapter, in Genesis 3, we, we see sin come to the picture, and it's interesting to see what sin does. Because as soon as sin, sin comes in and God confronts the sin and says to Adam and Eve, what have you done? Adam, what does he do? He goes, well, it's not my fault. It's her fault. She's the one who was tricked. She's the one who took the, the, the bite of the fruit. And God, you gave her to me. I was doing just fine until she came along. And what, is that? what does Eve do? Well, it wasn't my fault. 
The serpent tricked me. You see how sin strikes at the heart of our relationships and strikes right at the heart of community? And we become all of a sudden not focused on everybody else. We focus on ourselves and try to get ourselves out of the situation. It's that I-it sneaking in. So what do we do? What do we do to make our relationships be more than, than what they currently are? I mean, do we just try harder? Do we need more self-help books? Do we need more Oprah and Dr. Phil into our lives? I mean, what do we need? There's a book a few years ago written by a guy named Douglas Copeland, who is an author that was really was searching for something, as best I can describe it. And he hadn't found what he was looking for and looking for meaning in life. And he was documenting his search for meaning in this book called Life After God. And at one point, he gets, he gets real raw, real transparent with the reader. And, and he comes to this. It reminds me of the book of Ecclesiastes that Solomon wrote in the Bible. But here's what he says. He says, now, here is my secret. I tell it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt I shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you are in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is that I need God. I am sick. And can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem capable of giving. I need God to help me be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness. To help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. And you might, you might read that and go, man, that guy sounds pretty messed up. But I read that and I go, that's me. Because not, not that I'm never kind, not that I'm never giving, not that I never love, but I know that deep down, when left to my own devices, on my own, Matt Mahaffey, to, on my own, with my sinful nature, without God, I am never as kind, never as giving, never as loving as I should be to my wife, to my family, to my friends, to my work, people I work with, and the people I meet in everyday life, that I need God desperately that I can't, I, my relationships are not what they can be without him. You see, God looks at our mess that we've made since the beginning of time. He saw our sin problem that separated us from him. And he said, you know what? You can't get back to me, but I can get back to you. And he made the move to get where we are when he poured himself into the person of Jesus and, and walked where we are came with us. We just came out of the Christmas season where we sang another name for Jesus, Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And what did God do? What did Jesus do when he arrived here? He loved us with a 1 Corinthians 13 agape kind of love that was all about us and had nothing to do with his own needs to the point where he gave up his own life so that we might live. And then what did Jesus do after his time on earth was done? He looked at his followers and he said, I'm going away. He goes, but it's good news that I'm going away. Because when I go, I'm sending another. I'm sending my spirit, God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, will indwell you, will live in you, and will empower you to love others the way that I have loved you. That's what 
happens when we become a follower of Christ, when you surrender your life to him, when you get off the throne of your heart and you let Jesus sit in his rightful place in your heart, God sends his Holy Spirit to live in you, to dwell in you. And he empowers you with his supernatural power, the same supernatural power that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in us and empowers us to live and to love the way that God loves us. And yet we try to do it on our own, don't we? And I, I got to ask you, in the, as 2016 is now here, how's it been, been going in your relationships doing it without God? Are you ready to do it with God? Because Jesus has this great thing in Revelation chapter 3 where he says these great words. He says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. And I, I just picture him today knocking on the door of your heart. He says, if anyone hears my voice, and sometimes that, that, that's, that still voice that you hear in a service like this, or maybe when you open your Bible, is God speaking right to your heart. If you hear my voice, and open that door, I will come in and eat with them and they will eat with me. And I love that picture because it's, it's such a picture of an intimate relationship, isn't it? Because the people that I love, the people that I love to, 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 to share a meal with, that's, a, that's a, a special occasion. That's something very intimate. And here's Jesus saying, I want to eat with you. I want to have that relationship with you. And yet many of us keep Jesus at such an arm's length. He's standing outside of that door, and we've got that little chain lock on. We can crack it open and look out and go, you know, hey, Jesus, I see you out there. Instead of throwing that door wide open and saying, I need you. My relationships are not what they could be without you. And not that you're not just receiving what you need, but you're not giving what you need to, in your relationships with others. Because you're not doing it with God. So here's the three next steps for you today. As we kick off this series, as we kick off this new year, one is this, is ask God to be with you. If you have never surrendered, and surrender is raising the white flag and saying, I have tried it my way long enough, and my life is a wreck, my relationships are this or not all that they could be. God, I, I surrender. I need you. Come to that same conclusion and get on your knees and say, God, I need you. And allow his spirit to dwell in you and empower you to have those relationships that you desperately want and need and were created for. Don't do it your way any longer. And then and the next way is that you would be with the church. You would commit to being with the church. God created his family, his people so that we could be an encouragement to one another, to help you know, empower you to, to do it together. Because here we are, living our own individual lives out there, and do, God's doing the great things in your lives, and we come together and we can celebrate together as a family. And we can look one another in the eye and cheer each other on and celebrate the Lord's Supper and give together and worship together and hear from God together and go out back into our community and into this world and let God use us together. 
We need this time. Power happens when we get together and we, and, and we, we do this. And I commend you for choosing to be here today, the very first Sunday in 2016. And I encourage you to make this a priority in your life, like many of you already do, instead of just an option. But the third thing that I really want to challenge you with is this. If this is it for you when it comes to your relationship with God, every week coming together on a Sunday morning and sitting in a row, you are missing out on something so much deeper and richer when you are not getting out of a row and getting in a circle, in a smaller group, in an NT group, we call them, to do life together. I've been in a small group now for two years, and we're a little bit on a break right now. We're going to start a couple weeks from now. But I know that there's people who pray for me, who know struggles in my life, and, and they, they pray for me, and I pray for them. And, and, and we encourage one another and can text one another and just we're there for each other in, 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 some, in some big key ways. And I see that played out in so many of the 300 people in our church who are already committed and connected into small groups. I saw it in the foyer today as they learned about someone who was hurting in their small group and I see the way that they, they, they care for one another. And I see that when I visited Chuck and Cindy Moorhead in the hospital recently, and Cindy just got a, a brain tumor re- removed uh, a couple of weeks ago. And yet I see small group members come in while I'm in the hospital room, and I see the look on Chuck's face when they walk in. And I see the way that I know of married couples in our church who are struggling, and yet I see small groups coming alongside of them and, and, and being with them in that way. I don't say that to say, you need to get in a small group because we need more small groups. I say that because I want that for you. I want that kind of relationships for you. And I see what Jesus, even living that out when he was with us on this earth, that he had his crowd of people that he was with and loved them. He got together with his 12 and they were together and, and shared life together. And he even went into deeper moments of, hey, Peter, hey, James and John, come experience this with me. And we all need that. God created us to need that. So 2016, the first step is you've got to have your relationship with God, right? And that can only happen through Jesus. And then, only then, can our relationships become what they are supposed to be, what God intended them to be, with God working in us and through us. So today, if you have a decision you need to be making, whether it's one of those three things, here's what I want to challenge you to do. Make your relationship with God right. And you can do that one way is by coming forward during this decision song and making it known. But you may not say, yeah, that's not for me. And you can even write it on your connection card. Find me after church. If you write it on your connection card, we will contact you this week. We'll sit with you and talk about your relationship with God. See you being baptized. Man, we just want that. That's number one thing. So would you stand right now as we sing this decision song? And I pray that whatever decision you make, that you'll make it boldly today. Let's sing this song together.